The last three Lord's Day mornings we have been on the subject of hell and heaven. And I had told you we would preach this morning on the believer's new body. But all week long the Lord kept telling me no. And so he led me to Psalm 51. I want you to turn with us in your Bibles there. And we desire this morning to preach a message on true repentance. Repentance is one of the greatest of the gospel graces. Repentance is one of the foundation stones of Christianity. The word repentance, the word repent, is used over 60 times, spoken of over 60 times in the New Testament. I don't know how many times throughout the whole Word of God. Repentance was the first message that our Lord preached when He came on the scene. He said, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The King has come. Preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has come. And the king offers pardon to those who will repent. The last message of our Lord Jesus was on repentance. He told his disciples in Luke 24, 47 that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Go tell the world, he said. Go tell them in my name that the kingdom has come and the king will receive and pardon those who come to him. And then those words in Acts 17, where he says, The times of these ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. For he has appointed a day in the which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. To me, in all of this catastrophe that we've been through within our nation in the last month, the missing note in the whole thing has been to call our nation to repentance, to call each and every individual to come before God and to confess their sins and to lay bare their hearts before Him. I haven't heard it. I've heard how great America is. I've heard how powerful America is. I've heard how America will rise to the challenge and do what needs to be done. I've heard many sing the song, God bless America. But how can God bless us without a broken heart and a contrite spirit? How can God bless us without us laying down our arms of rebellion against him? How can God bless us without we having broken hearts and contrite spirits over sin? 
and the way we have treated him and the way we have rebelled against him and the way we, would, we have hid sin in our hearts and have not come clean and come clear with the Lord. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. For he calls us, every one of us, to repentance. And everywhere you go in the Word of God, repentance and faith or remission of sins are mentioned together. We read to you from Luke 24, preach repentance and remission of sins beginning at Jerusalem to all the nations of the earth. The apostles before the Sanhedrin and the fifth of Acts told them that God had raised up the Lord Jesus Christ whom they had slew and hang on a tree, hung on a tree. Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Repentance and faith go together. They come from the King, from the Prince, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was made sin for us, who knew no sin. And we may be made the righteousness of God in Him. John in his Gospel writes that the law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And as you go through the Word of God and remember, remember one thing, that repentance is preached and taught as one of the graces of God. Repentance is a grace of God. It comes to us by grace. It comes to us from Christ. It comes to us by the work of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. And it's needful because there's never been a man saved yet who hadn't first repented, laid down his arms of rebellion against God, who changed his mind about sin, and that change of mind was so great that it affected his heart because God gave him a new heart and he turned to God from sin he might serve the true and the living God. I love to go back to that verse of Scripture in First Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul said, How you turned to God from idols. How you turned to God from your sins to serve the living and the true God. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. How we turn to God. And repentance is a turning unto God. Not only is it a change of mind, but it is a turning of the whole man to God from sin. And we might serve him 
we might follow him, the true and the living God. And that our sins might be blotted out as a thick cloud, never to be remembered against us anymore. The, the, the law was given by Moses, for John 1.18, to show us our sinfulness. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ to give us repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and remission of sins. I want you to ask God to give you ears to hear with this morning, each one of us. This word is much needed for my own heart. So I've had to go over, over every word of it. I've had to look to the Lord to deal with our hearts. This whole psalm, Psalm 51, is a psalm of repentance. David had sinned against God grievously. He had taken another man's wife. He put her husband to death. And he went on for nearly a year with nothing happening until God sent Nathan the prophet to point his finger in his face and told him he was the man that had sinned against God. But in other places in the Word of God, we know that during that time, he was shut up with his sins. Because if you'll go to Psalm 38 with me, you'll notice what he says there beginning in verse 3. 38 of the 38th Psalm, the 32nd Psalm, the 69th Psalm, all deal with what David went through with during that time of conviction before he came clean and came clear with God, but God forgave him. Psalm 38.3, There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. Mine iniquities have gone over mine head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I'm troubled. I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease. And there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. And this is the way he comes before the Lord. In this Psalm 51, he comes pleading the mercy of God. And beloved, without that mercy of God, there's nothing. We can't stand before God without that mercy in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can't stand before God in our own person. We can't stand in God on our own works of what we have done because they're all filthy in the sight of God. Every one of them. 
But he comes on the mercy of God. And this is the way we are to approach God. On the mercy of God. Notice what he says. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. What a word. He comes on the basis of the shed blood. He comes on the basis of the mercy, the compassion, and the grace, and the love of God. And that mercy is loving kindness. And then he elaborates on it further by saying, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Lord, thou hast plenty of grace, plenty of mercy, plenty of tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. Those three words got a hold of me. He uses, first of all, to blot out my transgressions. And then to wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. And then to cleanse me from my sin. They all have to do with sin. But it's amazing how he puts these three words and what they mean. And that's the reason I'm going to go into them and look at them. For we need to understand our hearts. What does the word transgression mean? What are you saying? According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my rebellion. Transgression means rebellion. It means the uprising of my will against the will of God. The all-holy and all-righteous God. That is the meaning of transgression. Blot out my transgression. In other words, David admit, admits that he has transgressed. That he has rebelled against God. He admits that he has rebelled against the authority of God. Against God's law. He broke it in two places. Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Both of them he was guilty of. So he rebelled against God's law and against God's authority. His own will had risen up against the will of God. And that's what sin is all about, beloved. Our will rising up against the will of God. He asserted himself. He had been governed by his desires and had allowed himself to be swayed by his lust. Therefore, he had rebelled against God. You see, transgression means a desire to have my... Listen to me now. This is very enlightening. And this is part of repentance. Acknowledging our transgressions before God our rebellion against Him. Are you listening? Transgression means a desire to have my own way. Transgression means a desire to do what I want to do. 
what I like doing. Transgression means a deliberate choice on my part to an active defiance against the law of God and against all that God stands for. It means that I do something that my conscience tell me is wrong, but I want to do it. Transgression is a willful, deliberate act of disobedience, a violation of authority. That is the meaning of transgression. Every man who repents realizes that he is guilty of that. Have you? Have you admitted that? That's part of repentance. And except a man repents, he shall perish. Unless you repent, Luke 13, you shall all likewise perish. Unless there is coming before, unless there is a coming before God, acknowledging that I deliberately and willfully violated God's authority in an act of disobedience against His command, and realize and stand before God as the guilty one. He did mince words with God, beloved God does not desire you and I to mince words with him at all. When he came before God, he was prepared to admit, I did it. Though I knew it was wrong, I knew the voice within me, my conscience said no, but I did it. I was a rebel. I did it deliberately. Beloved, this is a weighty matter. This is not a light thing, beloved. I'm coming before God in repentance. And I am deliberately laying down the arms of my rebellion and telling him that I deliberately disobeyed him. And then he uses the word, and this is the one that got a hold of my heart, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. What does iniquity mean? I want you to get it now. I want God to write it upon our hearts. Iniquity means an act is twisted or that it's bent. In other words, it means perversion. And this is obvious in the case of David. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. That foul thing, that dastardly thing that I did. What was it in me that made me do it? It was iniquity, that twist, that perversion of the law of God. 
How perverted I, I must have been to do that. Oh, the twist and the bent of the condition of my heart and the perversion of it all. And in this respect, how true this is of every act of which we are guilty. You and I, you and I might be guilty of the same things that, that David was guilty of outwardly, inwardly we are. But as we examine our hearts, do we not see so many things that are twisted and perverted in our hearts? Brethren, this is a weighty thing. God didn't send me here this morning just to beat my lips together. He dealt with my heart with this. This was the message for this hour. Do we see that so many things that we do are twist, twisted and perverted? That's iniquity. Do we not see that so many of our actions in life are bent? Jealousy and envy and malice and pride. How horrible the twist. The desire that evil may come to someone. This, this, the dislike of praise of another. Evil thoughts. They're all bent and twisted. They're ugly, they're foul. They're iniquity. And we are guilty of iniquity. There's not a one of us in this room this morning that can deny that. How do I know this? Well, I want to read you something that I've read a thousand one times in my life and preached from it but I've never saw it in the light of how God showed it to me this morning. In Mark 7, verse 21, we read, And from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. Let's stop right there. Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. What are they? If you cut the sentence there and look at what he's saying, that out of the heart of men, first of all, proceed evil thoughts. What are they? Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come 
from within and defile the man. And they all proceed from evil thoughts. How do you know? Just as God has been pleased to let me see his heart in the last days and weeks and months. And he has. This past week he's let me see my heart. I don't believe. And all the time since God saved me. Have I ever had to cry out against adultery and fornication? It looked like that wherever I went, my eyes saw it, and the thoughts began to come. You talk about pleading the blood. You talk about crying to God and telling Him, Lord, I don't want these thoughts. I don't want these things. I want holiness. I want purity. Next five minutes, there they were back again. Did God forgive? Of course he did. But he didn't take it away like what? Right away. Because I was bothered with it up on until, until the night last night. Look at the heart. It's an evil heart. And proceeding from that evil heart are evil thoughts. You can sit there this morning cold and dead and say, that's not me. I'm all right. But you're lying to yourself. You need the Lord. You need repentance. You need to acknowledge iniquity. That horrible twist and perversion of the heart. How we need how we need to repent. How we need to come before God as 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 David did. How we need to lay bare our hearts before Him. That's why He said, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. All of this perversion, this horrible twist of the heart and of the mind, I need it. That's the reason why repentance is a gospel grace. You know that? That's why the reason why repentance is a gospel grace. God given us the grace to tell God what's in our hearts and what we repent of. And what we don't what we what we want is is the blood of Christ and nothing else. The law demands perfect obedience in thought and word and deed. 
Grace says all of these have been fulfilled in Christ. Who himself lived and bled and died and rose again in the sinner's place. Well, if the grace of God is there and the blood is there, why should I repent? It is because God wants us to continually know our hearts and still continue to strive after holiness. Continue to strive for a pure heart and a pure mind before Him. And our hearts to be laid bare before Him. It's a gospel grace. And we are commanded to, re- we're commanded to preach it. And God only gives that salvation to those who come and lay down their arms of rebellion and confess like David, brought out my transgressions and wash me from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. What does the word sin mean? Sin means missing the mark. I don't know of any better way to put it. I'm not living as I ought to live. I've missed the mark of perfection. I've missed the mark of complete holiness. I've con- I have missed the mark of being completely like the Lord Jesus Christ. I haven't arrived yet. Therefore, I need to repent. I need to lay bare my heart before God. I need the blood of Christ. I need to constantly be coming before Him. And this is the reason why Paul acknowledged this was his desire that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after if that I may lay hold of that for which... I am laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended or laid hold of that yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's the laying bare of the heart. He knew it. And every one of God's children knows it. We need to recognize these three things. Transgression, our rebellion against God. Iniquity, our perversion, the twist and bent of our actions. And sin, missing the mark, not getting there. Not being what we ought to be. What we are, what we are meant to be. Going here, there, and everywhere instead of where we ought to be going. And that is straight ahead. To the Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds like, Pastor, you're preaching both the sinner and saint this morning. I sure am. All of us need it. We need again to lay down the arms of our rebellion and hoist the white flag of surrender and to trust 
the Lord. Only our Lord Jesus can help us. Only the blood shed at Calvary's cross can we plead. And that blood's upon the mercy seat and speaks better things than the blood of Abel for us within the veil. So where am I going to come? Beloved, there's only one place for us to come. And that's to Christ. Only one place for us to come. And that's to the foot of the cross. It is there that the Lord Jesus poured out His heart for us. And there, as we look and see what He did for us, that our hearts are broken. Did you know that as our hearts are laid bare before God and our hearts are illuminated by the grace of God and we stand guilty before God and acknowledge it, well, this is what he did. David held nothing back in Psalm 51, 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He didn't beat around the bush with him he didn't blame it on anybody else. Look at verse 4. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Lord, I have sinned against you. I know the adultery was with Bathsheba and the murder was to her husband Uriah, the Hittite. But against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Listen to me now. Listen to me. Souls are going to hell because they put their blame for their sins on others instead of taking it before God. And some of you sitting in this audience this morning, you blame circumstances in the past. You blame others in the past for the condition that you're in and that you have not believed and laid hold of Christ and laid down your arms of rebellion. But he confessed, it is my iniquity. It's my transgressions. It's my sin, and I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. And he doesn't blame anybody. And beloved, repentance to be true repentance is I take the blame. I take the blame before God against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Now watch what he does. He looses God's hand of every responsibility. I've told you this, Lord, that against thee and thee only have I sinned. I've told you, Lord, that I did this evil in thy sight. You saw it all together. You know it all together. Then watch, then watch what he does in the rest of the verse. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. In other words, whatever you do with me, if you send me to hell, 
I'll get my true deserts. That's what he's saying. And true repentance tells God, I deserve hell. And God is just in what he does. And then he goes further than that in verse 5. He even tells God about his sin nature. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He even went further than confessing his sin. He said that even his very sin nature, which God had not taken out when he saved him, Confessed his sin nature. And that's what Romans 5, verses 12 to the end of the chapter is all about. Is our taking a blame before God. Then, <clears throat> when we are illuminated, In our hearts confess our iniquity before God. We don't do like Pharaoh did. Three times when those plagues fell upon Egypt, Pharaoh called Moses and said, I have sinned. And what did he do? It was just remorse. It wasn't real confession. It wasn't real repentance. Or he would have let God's people go. He had to keep them. He had to keep his own way. He had to keep his position that he occupied. He wouldn't have anybody else have it. He was filled with pride. He would not confess it. Aiken. In the seventh of Joshua, when he was finally caught, and he thought sure he was hid, they had to call up a tribe, a whole family, tree. They had to call up a certain family. Then they had to call up the individual in that family who had committed sin. Closer and closer and closer they got to Achan. He thought he was hid forever. But be sure your sin will find you out. Achan confessed his covetousness and told Joshua that he had sinned. But it was remorse. It wasn't true confession. Did you know that Judas confessed that he had sinned in betraying the Lord Jesus Christ? But what did he do? He went out and hung himself. Peter confessed he had sinned. What did he do? He found Christ. He went back to him. That's repentance. Came to Christ. Because repentance and faith go together. Repentance leads us to Christ. We never, they are Siamese twins. You cannot separate them. 
True repentance and true faith go together. If a man repents, he'll believe and lay hold of Christ. If he lays hold of Christ, you can sure that he, he has repented. He has come to Christ. He's laid down his arms of rebellion and he's confessed against thee and thee only. Have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight? It's covetousness. Perhaps you had never seen this one before. In 2 Samuel 6, the daughter of Saul, King Saul, Michelle, was one of David's wives. And when she saw him dancing before the ark, her whole heart and being hated him. Her hatred, her hateful heart for the people of God. Now I want you to Let that soak in. I want you to hear it. But our hearts are illuminated. God shows us that we hate Him and His people. As some of you sitting in this audience this morning who are carrying around in your heart hate for the people of God. Michelle didn't acknowledge it. She didn't even say she had sinned. That's illumination. The children of Israel, their unbelief sent them to hell. The man at the pool of Bethesda, he pleaded and he confessed his helplessness. The blind man in John 9 confessed he was blinded and he couldn't see. So do we. Illuminated by the Holy Spirit. But there's one thing that came out of this Repentance has in it humiliation. And humiliation means that we humble ourselves, we're put to shame. And most people would rather go to hell. than to acknowledge their shame. I tried to picture this as best I could in my own mind. Christ was put to shame for those who died for him. 
He was hung naked on a tree, on a cross. All that he went through with was shame. All of the lies that was against him. And he opened not his mouth. All of the sufferings in his body and his soul and his spirit. He was put to shame. Even put to shame before Almighty God, his Father, which made him cry out, Eli, Eli, Lemma Sebastiani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was put to shame. And one of the things that breaks my heart, and it'll break yours too, the reason I hate sin is because it is against the one who was put to shame for those sins. That'll break your heart. That'll bring you to repentance. To look upon him who was put to shame and know that he did it because he loves you. Hanging there, exposed to the very wrath of God, exposed to man, exposed to everybody. He was put to shame. He became wretched. Not in his own person, but he bore our sins, and because he bore our sins, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I tell you, there's nothing in the world that will shut the mouth of any soul that he stops boasting of anything that he has that is good or anything that he's done or could ever do is to look at the Lord Jesus Christ stripped there on the cross as he humbled himself because of my sins. And shall I not do the same thing? Is it not the love of Christ that I desire to keep me from sinning? Why do I run to him when I sin? Why do I run to him when evil thoughts come into my mind? Why do I run to him when I've spoken a word out of due season, why do I run to him? It is because I put him to shame. And he paid for those sins in his own body upon the tree. Amen. Brethren, I've told you before, I'll tell you again this morning, pitch your tent at Calvary and sit down there and look at that middle cross where Christ hung for you. That'll bring repentance. If that Amen. doesn't do it, nothing ever will do it. Amen. It's the love of God that brings us to repentance. Take the blame for Him.
And when we do that, we lay bare our hearts before God. <coughs> There's nothing that we want to hide. Every sin that He points out, we want to confess. We want to turn to Him with the whole heart. Not just partially, but with the whole heart. I've transgressed your law. My heart is full of perversion, iniquity. I have sinned in that I have not gone straight in holiness and righteousness. I missed the mark. Beloved, this is kind of down to where God wants us to get. All of our boastings are gone. We we become beggars at the throne of grace. And we begin to cry for mercy. There's mercy only in one, and that's the Lord Jesus who hung on the cross for us. Help me, Lord. This was my cry. Lord, help me. For I perish. Save me, Lord, or I'm gone. Deliver me, I'm sinking down to hell. Turn me, and I shall be turned. I need you. David did that in 6 and 7 of Psalm 51, Behold, thou desires truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Lord, I can't bring forth that truth in the inward parts, but you can purge me with hyssop, sprinkle my soul, clean me, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Wash me, Lord. Have you ever stood before God with the rope around your neck? And you hand the rope to Him? And the nooses around your neck? I've sinned. I deserve your wrath. I deserve hell. But I plead for mercy. I cry for mercy. Watch me, Lord. No more boasting. Boasting's all gone. We have truly become a beggar. A beggar before God. And we cry out after Him. Then we hear those words of David in another place. For this is another mark of true repentance. David said, I hate every false way. There's one thing that God gives us when he saves us. Gives us true repentance. He gives us a hatred for sin. 
We must go further than sorrow over sin. We must come to hate sin. We must turn to God from sin. We fight against sin. And we speak no more lightly of sin. The person who can speak lightly of sin and his past and all this sort of thing, they know repentance in him. When he can speak lightly and tenderly and lovingly of sin, there's no repentance in him. He hates it. Beloved, if you do not hate sin so that you are ready to give it up, you've never repented. Hear me. If you love your sin, if you love your way, if you love your pleasure, if you love your lust, if you love your covetousness, you're not saved. You've never repented. For God in repentance gives us a hatred for sin. You see, one of my definitions of repentance is repentance is to leave the sins I loved before and show that I in earnest grieve by doing so no more. I don't want them. I don't want my way. I don't want my will. I tell God that all the time. That's great. Grace has done this. I haven't done this. Grace has done this. Grace continues to do this. And beloved, this transformation that takes place in the heart and life of those who come to Christ. It's not partial. It's complete. It's universal. Our infirmities are many. Our, our, weak, our weakness is much, but grace always keeps stirring us up. And helping us against our human infirmity. Therefore we hate and abandon every false way. And this is our cry. 9 and 10 of Psalm 51. Hide thy face from my sins. And blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And who knew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Hide your face from my sins. Put out all mine iniquities. Give me a clean heart. A renewed and right spirit. And Lord, don't leave me. Well, I thought you played Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 all the time. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
if you may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I'll guarantee you that I cry the other as much as I cry that. Lord, don't leave me to myself. Don't leave me to my thoughts. Don't leave me to my way. Hold me. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquity. Treat a clean, clean heart within me, O God. Renew a right spirit within me and cast me not away from thy presence. David tried it. And so do we. If you have repented, you hate sin. Do you still love the drunkard's cup? Do you still love covetousness, which is idolatry? Do you still live in rebellion against God and His Word? The hateful and hating heart whereby you still harbor revenge and malice against your father, against your husband, against your mother, your sister, your husband, your friend, anybody. If you still love the bed of uncleanness, you haven't repented. You hate these things. Why? Divine transformation has taken place. It's an act of the whole man. Turned into the whole Christ. Laying down those arms of rebellion. There's something else that God does for us when He saves us and transforms us. There's no man in the world that you hate any more than you hate yourself. You know what I said? I said, there is no man in the world that you hate any more than you hate yourself. And this humbles you. I am walking around with this old man still there. The potential for everything is still there, except for the grace of God and the promises of God that no sin shall have dominion over me. He breaks the power of sin with praise His holy name. We hate ourselves. And with nothing in the world, nothing in the world would suit me any better than to get rid of the old man. One day it's coming by the grace of God. But I must take you, I must leave 51 
And I must take you to 32, Psalm 32. Now I must read to you the first two verses. For well, here's the consummation of it all. Beloved, 30, uh, Psalm 32, 1 and 2 is the consummation of it all. This is what God does for us when He saves us. Blessed, happy, to be envied, is he whose transgression is forgiven, that rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You've never gone straight. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. And how can Paul, how can David say this? Have he just got through confessing his sins. He can say it because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. Where there's repentance and true repentance, there is faith to go outside of self and look to Christ. I love those words. And Paul quotes them in Romans 4, just what I read. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without work, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. He uses the word iniquity there instead of transgressions. Rebellion is forgiven. This vents and perverse heart of mine has been forgiven of its iniquities, whose sins are covered. And then I like verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Brother, that's not shouting grounds out on the audience. God does not impute sin to our account. He imputes it to the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the man. True repentance will always lead to Christ. Repentance is a gospel grace. So it leads to the one who who is the sinners who is substance of sin, made sin for us the substance of the gospel, for he paid for our sins in full. By his precious blood, they're all washed away. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse us from all sin. Then he imputes to us the righteousness of Christ. Has God worked this grace of repentance in your heart? Has He worked it in mine? Have our lives been changed because of it? Have we repented with a godly sorrow that needs not to be repented of? Have we come to Christ? By faith have we laid hold of Him whom you know. 
is life eternal. Beloved, that's what we need in every one of our lives this morning. That's why we that's what we need in this nation. Can you imagine what a, what would happen? If this kind of repentance would be exercised by the grace of God, by our leaders, and they would be governed by the holiness of God, confession would be made, faith would be made to lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we need to be called to. True repentance. Have you repented? You must, for he said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- 450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.